we're not allowed to do Facebook ads. We're not allowed to do Google ads. Um, so it's very restricted. So we really have to be out there and be active and get people's feedback. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn what to do when you cannot advertise your product on Facebook or Google, how to use Reddit and Facebook groups for influencer marketing, and how to approach your business when the industry transforms from a subculture to the mainstream. Today, I'm joined by Sadiq Daya from Van Gogh Vapes. Van Gogh Vapes creates liquid for inhalable flavor connoisseurs and was started in 2014 and based out of Vancouver. Welcome, Sadiq. Thank you, Felix. So, so what are inhalable flavor connoisseurs? So we've kind of uh, branched off from vaping. Vaping has a, a term and it's been around for years and years. Um, and so the, we, we technically create liquids for vapes. But the way our liquids are a bit different is we really put a lot of emphasis on flavoring. And personally, I, I believe that the flavor has a lot to do with the journey from cigarettes to e-cigarettes to nothing. Uh, I believe flavor is very important and it kind of ties in with almost uh, aromatherapy where the flavors and the, the smells, you know, put you in a certain mindset or a certain state of mind. Got it. So you mentioned that you wanted to go down this path because you wanted to create the business to create those flavors that you're talking about, but also leave the consulting world. Tell us more about that. What was your, what was the story behind why you got started? So a few years ago, back in 2014, um, uh, me and my brother actually were worth, we were both working at a consulting firm and, um, I'd been doing that for a few years and it, we, I started vaping at the time when I was a little bit tired of the consulting side. To be honest, I, I did it for quite a few years. I found it to be extremely, um, it was, it was extremely tough. It was a constant challenge to, you know, constantly be out there networking and selling yourself. And it, it was a different style of business. Um, and through the consulting, I, I found myself, I enjoyed the, um, the industries and the e-commerce quite a bit. And so when I personally started vaping around that time, there weren't a lot of options in Vancouver for for uh, suppliers. And so I started looking into the the numbers behind it and looking into the logistics and all that. And um, one of the most interesting things was that it was a brand new industry. There wasn't really much out there. Um, I was heavy on the software side. So even on the software side, there really wasn't anything out there. And so the challenges were very intriguing to me. I was, uh, I wanted to, you know, kind of just dive in and see what it's all about, both with the flavor side and starting in an industry that doesn't have, um, you know, the, 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 the business practices or the software or the, uh, the commonplace flow that other industries do have. Guys, so you had this experience from the consulting world and you recognized that a lot of the players that were in the, the vaping space, the vaping industry, didn't have the kind of expertise that, that your more established world has. So you, you figured that you come in and apply a lot of your, your, your kind of business experience and learnings and essentially dominate or compete in the marketplace. Exactly. And um, another thing that we really brought to the table was the, uh, the innovation aspect. So Internally, one of our uh, one of the cores that we we pride that we pride ourselves on is the fact that we have a uh, fully custom ERP system 
that uh, is for this industry state of the art. And so that's what has kept us going through the years and it's given us the ability to have so many SKUs, but still produce, manufacture and distribute them efficiently enough to that we're obviously turning a profit. Got it. So is this your first business that you started or have you have you launched other businesses in the past? This is the first business that I've personally started. Um, this is the first one I've started. I worked with a lot of different startups when I was a consultant. Um, and then, and one of the largest ones that I worked with was a uh, steel fabrication company. They did structural steel. Um, and I was with them from um, six months in till about four and a half years. And through that time, we were able to increase revenues tenfold up till the seven digits. Um, and it was, it was quite a journey. Learned a lot along the way. Um, and it really taught a lot about, you know, the growth and growing is really where I saw a lot of companies having issues with is like, it, it, it's not a huge challenge to run a company with two or three people. I find that the challenge is going from two to 10 to 20 to 50, because each stage requires different, um, different structure, different aspects of the company um, that you have to constantly keep implementing and not implementing these things or um, thinking that it's the same is is usually where the problems happen because you can't treat a company with 10 employees the same as you treat a company with 30 employees. There's other things that have to come into play. And if they don't come into play, that company ends up just uh, burning itself out. You're talking about scaling up a business and it's not hard when it's just, you know, you yourself, but then once you start scaling, you have to put things in place. What are these things that, like, what do you have to start doing differently as you go from just yourself to, to maybe another person than to maybe like, you know, 10 people? Like, what are some things that you want to put in place? Well, first thing is um, procedures and documenting the procedures. I find that as size grows, it's more and more important to document more and more procedures uh, and housekeeping. So again, going back to the example, if you have two employees and you're hiring a third, it doesn't really make sense to have a huge manual with every everything about the company in there. Uh, policies on lunch, policies. Like it, it makes sense to have your framework there. But to spend so much time creating a whole huge document for someone that it would be just as easy just to quickly tell them a few times um, is totally fine. But once you start getting into, uh, you know, 10 employees, 20 employees, even things like processing payroll, if you're using timesheets and you're using, you know, um, other ways of manual submission, that's really where you're going to start to feel those pains. So implementing software for um, payroll tracking, implementing software for HR management. Um, implementing, you know, uh, your your benefits and stuff like that. So as it gets bigger, it's more like um, problems start to get bigger until the point where there's such a big problem they need a solution. So do you need an HR software when you have two people? Personally, I don't think so. Uh, when you have 20 people, you're really starting to get into that um, that area. And once you hit 50 people, if you don't have an HR software, you're going to have so much headaches that. Um, Again, if you've got a headache in HR and then you've got the similar headaches across your company, mm. you'll, you'll feel those pains. Got it. So when you are ready to start doing things like documenting procedures, what do you find are some of the most important procedures to document that you maybe, if, if, like that's a low hanging fruit, like something that all businesses should start documenting when they are starting to scale? One thing that I always advise people is, um, is when you start your company, really imagine where you want the company to be. Of course, there's some stories where they start and they never imagined that they would have the success they did. But I find it's very important to create that goal or create that image in your head because that will help you work towards that. Um, if you are starting your company and you have no plans on going more than five employees, then you have to build your company around that. It's 
you know, the, the product that you're creating, for example, if you're a baker, document every single step along the way on how you want it or how you want the work done. And I find it's extremely important that the person in charge makes sure that it only happens in that that way that they've asked it to be. Um, when there's variances from procedures or when people go off procedure, uh, that's always when problems happen, especially when looking back, you know, three months later, looking back at the history of what happened over the last couple of months, it's much easier to find problems when you know that there's a, a defined specific way of doing things. But when you have multiple people doing multiple things, that's when you're opening up the doors to way more problems. Okay, so you had, like you mentioned, you had these business practices that you took from more established industries and then you wanted to come in and apply it to the vaping industry. Can you, can you dive a little deeper into what particular uh, advantages you saw that you had that you wanted to bring into this industry? So the manufacturing aspect is where I, I, I did a lot of work with before. And so that's really what I brought into this industry. Um, I created the first version of the software that we use for the manufacturing. Now, the manufacturing is an interesting one. And that was one of the biggest challenges I found when we first started is it has similarities. Creating liquids uh, or creating uh, e-liquids has a lot of similarities to uh, a bakery. Uh, in the way that there's multiple ingredients, they have to be specifically measured and then they have to go through a process. Now, the thing that's a little different about this industry, especially when you have lots of flavors, is the number of SKUs. One flavor, like for example, blueberry, will come in 30, 40 different SKUs because it ha we have to offer it in multiple bottle sizes, multiple um, VG ratios, and multiple nicotine strengths. So there's all with these factors, one flavor could easily be 40 SKUs we can't sit and make every single SKU that we offer. And so the original software, basically, it would calculate um, both the forecast as well as it would plan out the production in the most efficient manner. Um, let's say, for example, we have 20 flavors. Each of them has 40 SKUs. Now, each flavor will have um, a unique set of flavorings that we use in them. And so what the software does, it collects the list of all the unique flavors from the, from the batch you're creating, and it gives you an easy way of creating all the flavors at the same time using the flavors one by one. So it's, a, it, it's kind of a process of manufacturing. Instead of going by batches, we went according to um, by work order. And so by just switching that, the software facilitates this and has increased, like the efficiency goes through the roof. You, it's not even really feasible to do it any other way, in my opinion. Um, and so that's because we've created the system, we're one of the only companies that is able to offer the variety that we do um, at the level of quality that we offer. Mm, so this gives you a, a larger catalog than your, com your competitors? Much larger catalog, and it gives us much more access to our capital. We're not tying up a huge amount of capital in inventory just to be able to offer all the SKUs. We have a good mix of on hand um, and made to order, but it's um, like the mix is taken care of by the computer, by the software. And so through that, it's still, it still guarantees or ensures that we're able to ship out everything within 24 to 48 hours. Got it. So you had this software for scaling up the SKUs from the very beginning, or did you add this in after launching? So we started at the very beginning. That was the very first thing. I knew that that was imperative on the company actually being able to progress, especially also on the, uh, the R&D side. There's a lot of R&D that we do. It's a brand new industry. Um, and so what we do is we take food flavors 
and we mixed it with vegetable glycerin and turned it into a form that's vapable. Now that whole process takes a lot of R&D because of the, the different flavors you're working with. So playing with the flavors, playing with the combinations, all that stuff. And so being able to, with the software, we're not only able to uh, manage the operations, but we're also able to facilitate the R&D. And so we're constantly working on new flavors. We're constantly um, putting out new flavors. And again, it's not a huge strain on the organization where I feel like uh, what we've found is that other companies have a huge struggle with the balance between R&D and production that uh, R&D is really kept back to the second, like to, to on the back burner as a secondary project. Um, and when they do have come up with projects, they're very restricted with how many flavors they can release. And so we're, we're, we've kind of established ourselves as the flavor company because we have um, a few very unique, very interesting mixes that come out uh, twice a year. People have recognized that. And so as the flavor company, we've started to sell our actual concentrates, not that, not the liquid, not the liquid, but the actual concentrated form of the flavors as well. So you, what you're describing so far is about efficiency, right? How do you, how do you make your business as efficient as possible for you guys to invest more in operations and R and D and scale up the business? But how do people find out about that the the business and all of your your products and all your SKUs to begin with? So at the beginning, we um, there's we were very restricted. This industry is very restricted on uh, how we can advertise, and so the two main things that we focused on there was a few online forums like Reddit that we uh, became active in, just letting people know um, that, look, you know, we're out here, we're creating flavors. And we found quite a few active members within the forums. And so we sent out the liquids to them to get their, their feedback and the review. Um, and so that kind of kicked it off. People were starting to hear about it, that there's this company that's creating flavors. Um, they're focused on, you know, connoisseur flavors and they're also focused on kind of like the variety. Uh, a lot of other companies would focus on just you know, oh, we have these three candies or we have the strawberry and cream. We went the other way where we wanted to go more off the spectrum. So we wanted to make sure that we have fruits, but at the same time, we made sure we had, you know, like uh, tobacco flavors and we had mint flavors and we had um, the kind of like the world flavors. And so through the forums, we started getting known. Um, there were also quite a few Facebook groups for vaping. Each, each province has its own group. So we were fairly active in there and that helped us um, both network and get the product out. And uh, and then through those two combinations, we started getting into retail locations. Um, and so we would reach out to them and a lot of times they'd already kind of heard of the name. Because of your activity in the community. Exactly. So that the activity in the community, the activity on the forums um, and the, the Facebook groups, those were really the, the, the base, the, the backbone of the beginning. Uh, on getting out there. We're not allowed to do Facebook ads. We're not allowed to do Google ads. Um, so it's very restricted. So we really had to be out there, be active and get people's feedback. That was a, that was a huge part of it is uh, working with micro influencers on getting their feedback and helping us get the product out. So how are you approaching uh, people? Let's say we'll start with Reddit. How are you approaching them to to get that those uh, uh, that that feedback early on? Like, were you just creating a post or are you direct messaging people to see if they were interested? Like, how are you uh, beginning down that path with Reddit? So for Reddit, we didn't do as much, but what we did is um, there were a few members that were identified as being you know vape specialists or um, vape reviewers, and so we would reach out to those people. Uh, as well, anyone as well, we would we would keep an eye out for people who were uh, very active. They were constantly posting about different liquids they had tried, different hardware they had tried. 
And uh, so we would reach out to these people as well. So we'd look for either either people that were uh, publicly doing reviews or people that seemed to, to uh, go through quite a few liquids and who kind of knew what they're talking about. Got it. So you would approach them and then you would just, how would you present yourself? Oh, we would just, uh, we would just tell them like, most of the times we would just reach out very straightforward and say, hey, you know, we're a manufacturer in Vancouver. Uh, we're, we're releasing a few liquids. We'd really, you know, we'd, we'd really like it if you are able to try our liquids and give us your thoughts. Um, and 99% of the time people would say, yeah, no problem. I mean, it's very rare people are going to say no or free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so we would, uh, yeah, we'd reach out to them directly and um, message them. They'd try it. And then usually we wouldn't really have to ask for much more as after they've tried it, they would usually give their feedback to the public. So in a way we were taking a risk because if they didn't like it, they would say that, look, you know, these guys sent me some liquids. It was terrible. I didn't like it. Um, but we, we rolled on, we, we stood behind our product and we, we hope that they would take it as well as we hope them to. Got it. So they would uh, post a review back onto those subreddits, and uh, what 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 was your interaction there? Like, were you guys jumping into the to the to the thread and responding back to comments? Like, what do you do usually after an influencer leaves uh, a review publicly? Uh, it really depends. A lot of times we would um, we wouldn't really comment on it. We wanted everything to be as organic as possible, and so um, especially with the Facebook groups commenting on it would bring it to the top of the group and so um sometimes people looked at it like too much uh mm. they, they try to keep the groups as organic as possible they don't want it to be full of spam um and so we we tend to keep our activity to being authentic so if we have something to put in if they put up a review and there's something for us to say we will say it but we don't just go in there just to say something for the sake of it Got it. And then these uh, Facebook groups, were they, were you also approaching individuals or are you just posting in the group itself for feedback? So at first we started posting in the group um, and then we ran a few contests actually. The contests, we did quite a few at the beginning. So the way we would structure the contest is uh, we'd first approach the admin, make sure that they're okay with it, make sure they're okay with us running the contest. Um, and then we'd create a graphic and it would be very simple. At the beginning, we did try a few more, like, um, you know, we'd put up a picture and say, like our page um, and comment on this post and tag two friends. And so we'd, we'd have all these requirements, but over the years, we've kind of uh, scaled the requirements back. So like the recent contest we did in August, it was simply just comment on the picture. What we did is we um, put up a picture of nine different bottles. There was three sets of three. Uh, one was a minty pack, one was fruity, and one was decadent. And we told them, look, just comment which pack you'd like to win. And so they were just going on commenting that. And then at the end of the contest, we'll just pick however many people at random, um, contact them, send them the, a discount code for the website uh, so that they can go on and claim their prize. And then they go onto the website and uh, collect their prize. How long were you guys doing this for, this initial outreach through Reddit and the Facebook groups? So we we actually have never stopped. We've uh, we, that's a, that's a, one of our our core marketing strategies is through the Facebook groups uh, and these uh, forums. We don't we're not as active on Reddit anymore um, because I find that it's it's it it really requires an authentic or organic. It, it requires authentic content and it requires um, constant engagement with the Facebook groups. It's a little bit more informal. Uh, and we've been working with them for many years now. A lot of them are the same admins. And so we've established fairly good relationship with them. 
Um, so usually every, let's say, two to four months, we'll, we'll let them know that, hey, we want to do a contest. Um, and then we'll run the contest similar to what we did before. But like I said, we've kind of become simpler with the contests, making it easier for people to join. Um, and then in between the contests, we try to stay active in the groups. We, you know, we'll give feedback. The groups will have anything from, you know, a new juice to someone posts a picture of their, their vape and they say, okay, I don't know what to do. It's not working. And so we try to be active and uh, stay on top of the groups and kind of just remain visible in the groups uh, and then every let's say one to two weeks we'll do like a product uh product shout out so we'll put up a product of ours we'll put up a little description uh, and we'll ask for some feedback or thoughts on something related to the product we might ask people you know who's tried it or what do you think of the white grape that we put in here or you know something along those lines so you can sustain a business just focused on facebook groups uh, to an extent, I mean, we, we like on the other side, our, our main business is wholesale. So we do, um, we do trade shows and we do quite a lot of events and we work fairly closely with the stores that we do. So I feel like our success has been a combination of our efficiency, um, our relationships with our customers, our commitment to the brand, and then the, the marketing strategies we've done through, um, the blogs and through our, uh, Facebook groups. Right. I guess another way to ask this question is if someone out there is looking for a marketing or sales channel for themselves, is Facebook groups a profitable kind of long-term plan if you were just to focus on just that channel? If you weren't looking to scale up and go down the avenue of wholesale and you just wanted to build a profitable business, can you just focus on Facebook groups based on your experience? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very possible. It would depend on the, the number of groups that are out there and the type of groups. Uh, one thing that was interesting about this industry is because there were no, there were not that many other avenues, and because it was such a new industry, people were uh, attracted to these groups both for information and as almost like a, a news source of what new products are in their local market, what are people doing, what are they talking about. Um, so, I, to be honest, I don't know how well they do in other industries. Um, and the one thing I have noticed though is that over the years. Um, the groups have become less and less active. So they were a lot more active when it was subculture, when it wasn't a mainstream. Now that it's becoming more and more mainstream, I'm finding that the activity is going down less. Like it's going, it's getting less than what it was once upon a time. Right. Now, how, how large are these groups that, that you were, that you're working with? Uh, the average group is about 1,500 to 2,000 members, um, but I have seen a group in the, like there's one group in the UK that we work with, uh, they have 25,000 members. Have you guys ever thought about, hey, let's just create a group of our own? Is that something that you would do? We've played with the idea before. Um, we, we were, uh, we're planning on launching something called startvaping.com. And so under that banner, we're thinking of launching a group to be like a support group for anyone who is uh, starting to vape. So anyone who's got questions, anyone who wants to start, anyone who uh, has, you know, they've been vaping for a bit and now they're kind of confused, just kind of a support group, mm -hmm. uh, not tie it to any geographical region. A lot of the groups that are out there right now is like, for example, BC Vapors, Edmonton Vapors, uh, Alberta Vapors, Ontario Vapors. And so with startvaping.com, we may start a group uh, and that would be more of a national group um, for support. Now, why are the groups so geographically, uh, I guess, uh, designated? I think for, uh, again, for this industry, especially a few years ago, there was so much saturation in the industry where every, 
locality was totally different. Even actually from a manufacturer point of view, uh, it's interesting to see that, like, for example, in BC, we sell the most uh, tropical fruit flavors. But then you go to Alberta, we sell loads of heavy menthols. Uh, you look at Ontario, we sell loads of creams and like custards and stuff. So I think the preferences vary province to province, as well as the products available. Like four years ago, we were only available in BC. And so we were mainly focused on BC vapors. Uh, when we started to go into Alberta, we then we started to, you know, reach out onto the Alberta vapors page. But I find that a lot of these groups, they want it to be products and people that are more local, right? So, you know, they'll put up a question saying, where can I find this juice? Like, for example, they might see a Vango juice and they'll put up a picture and they'll say, hey, where can I find this juice locally? I want to go pick it up right now. So it kind of caused itself to become localized groups. There are national groups, but I have found, I found that they were never as active as the, the localized groups. Makes sense. It's probably more specific to that group's uh, problems or or questions. So that that makes sense. Why the more specialized ones were more popular or more active. So is it worth targeting all Facebook groups, or is there some kind of criteria that you like to look at to determine if you should be working with a group or not? It's um, it really comes down to resources. You know, I find that just um, just finding groups and putting up pictures doesn't really have much value. It's just spam. Uh, I find that it really only brings value from the groups if you're an active member of the group, if you're a known member of the group. So being active and, you know, contributing to discussions, contributing to questions, um, contributing to the overall activity in the group, you know, commenting, things like that, that makes you a, a valued member of the group. And then you've got, um, you've got some more credibility where, you know, for example, BC Vapors, John Smith comes in and posts his product and we don't hear about him ever again. It doesn't really have any value. Yeah, okay, we saw it, but it doesn't really have any value. And if he was to come back every week and just post up a picture, it would be considered spam and mm-hmm. oftentimes the admin would just kick them out. Can you just delegate this to a team member? Hey, you 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 focus on on like can you just can you just hire out for someone to to be responsible for that? Can you scale that up that way? We have, we do have someone in house actually that um, part of his job is to stay on top of the groups. So once a day, he'll kind of summarize in a way, he'll summarize kind of what happened in the groups that day. Um, and then he himself will make sure that we're active. So we have, we have a, um, an account called Vinnie Van Gogh. And uh, that's the account that is our kind of like anonymous face mm-hmm. company. So me, myself, I'm fairly active as well as my brothers. Uh, and then we have Vinny, who is more of like, associated with the company as like the company face. Um, and he himself is at, is active in the groups as well. So he'll comment and he'll give suggestions and stuff like that. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a user that uh, we kind of bounce around. Sometimes I'll use it, but there is someone who's assigned to it full time. A big thing is really though, knowing what you, what they're doing. So if they're going to hire out, they can, to- they can do that. Um, but just make sure that they remember that this person is representing them in that group. So making sure that even what they say, the comments they do, the comments, the, the type of comments they put um, reflect the company's goals and um, values. Mm-hmm. When you approach a group, uh, that the administrator, how do you, what's the pitch like? How do you get them to, to essentially agree to work with you? Usually, to be honest, we'll... Uh, we'll reach out to the administrator first and we'll say, look, are you interested in trying some of our products out? Uh, I find that if the administrator 
is behind the product and they back the product, they support the product, it goes a lot smoother. So oftentimes talk to the administrator first, see what their thoughts are, um, and definitely don't step on their toes. You know, some of them will say things like, there's a group that we're in, um, it's a good group, fairly active, most of the time there's a lot of good content, uh, and they have a rule that you're only allowed to post company-related items, you know, before three, before three o'clock on Thursdays. Um, obviously, make sure that you respect their you respect their boundaries and respect whatever they they ask you. So to get into a group, to get into a group, anyone can join a group. If you want to work with the group, I would say talk to the admin first. Try to get them on your side. Make sure that they're happy with what you're trying to do, uh, and then go from there. Yeah, I'd imagine that there's probably your competition or other people that are selling to the same customers that are also wanting to work with the administrator and, and promote their products in the group. How do you, how does that work with what you're trying to do? Yeah, we have no problem with other people uh, advertising and none of the groups are exclusive to any one company. So there are, the competitors do uh, promote in the similar groups as well. Got it. Now this approach of uh, focusing on Reddit and then mostly on Facebook groups to the point where you're able to get the backing of the community to eventually approach retailers and sell wholesale. Well, how long did this take? Like, what was the timeline between getting started with your first micro influencers through these communities on Facebook and Reddit to the point where your products start showing up in stores? Uh, they were both very. They were roughly around the same time, to be honest. Uh, we joined um, BC Vapors in uh i believe it was about october of 2014 um and in december of 2014 we there was a new member in that group actually the digital vapor um they were also a member in that group they announced that they're opening up their their shop and so being members we saw that obviously and so we approached them and uh we said you know hey can we work with you this is our product um we'd like to see where we can take this and so we started working with them so it was about two to three months two months after we had joined the group and started uh, soliciting that we were able to, that we got into a store. And then from there, it kind of uh, grew again. The group helped, the groups helped a lot because the, a lot of the store owners were in the group. And so as more store owners came on board and were um, saying, you know, good things about the company, good things about the product, it became easier and easier. People would see it. Uh, and then, you know, customers would go to these stores, they'd take a picture of the bottle, they would put it in the group. And so the more, um, the more visibility we got, the more traction we got. That, that's awesome. The, the customers and the business owners that you're going to sell to are both in the group. So they're seeing that kind of, uh, that validation from the community that they like your products. Now, yeah. what's your what's your approach to, to growing this, this wholesale business other than people just kind of discovering it, wanting to carry it? Do you actively try to open up more accounts that, that might not have found you through the groups? Yeah, no, we, uh, so we, we have hired a few people over the years. Um, right now, so we have one person in house. Uh, he's our director of sales, and so he basically reaches out to uh, uh, reaches out to people to help them kind of get on board. At this point now in Canada, I'd say m- most of the shops or most of the vape shops have heard of the brand, so it's more of a it's more that the someone from internally will reach out to them, introduce ourselves, send them some samples. Um, but the process is much smoother because it's a, it's a known brand. It's a recognized brand. Um, so we are constantly outreaching. And another thing we do is trade shows. We do uh, all the Canadian trade shows. And now we're trying to, we're starting to branch out. So we've done three in London. Um, we've done, we did one in Atlanta. We did two in Seattle. So we're starting to reach out internationally now. Um, and so 
the groups were more of a Canadian thing. Uh, as we go into the international market, we're shifting more to uh, trade shows and distributors. Right. So now that you were officially uh, really started off by being part of this exploding subculture, and now, as you mentioned, it's becoming more mainstream. What does this typically mean for how you run the business? Because it's gone from a, a, a subculture to becoming more mainstream. Well, we've um, we've always tried to run the business as business-like as possible. Um, so, right in the first set, uh, like in our first software, we've always been keeping track of batch numbers and uh, expiration dates and all these kind of different things that we thought would be uh, necessary. And now, as the industry has become mainstream with the regulations, a lot of these things that we predict predicted many years ago have actually been put into the regulation. So, uh, for example, on the bottles, we've always had little poison symbols and we've had the warnings both in English and French. Uh, we've had the nicotine value. We've had barcodes and batch numbers and stuff. Um, these are all being required by November. Uh, I mean, sorry, in May, April or May, the government released their regulations. And as long as you were pretty close, you could keep your products on the shelf. And so we were pretty close to what they required. They gave us the six months window to get everything up to up to standard. Um, and so in November, it's a strict deadline. Anyone with any sort of content, any sort of products that are not compliant will be um, disposed and potentially fined. Um, so as it's become more and more mainstream, we've definitely tried to make sure that we're always professional. Um, but overall, we've, we've always tried to keep that since the beginning. What about the, the marketing and the messaging when your category does become more mainstream? How does that change? I think it just it opens the doors to more avenues as the market size has grown. It's, uh, you know, four years ago, it didn't make sense to do things like billboards, where now it's starting to get to the point where there's enough of a market out there where we can justify some of these more uh, larger projects. So in December, we're launching um, startvaping.com. It's a website that's geared around um, helping people to start vaping. So information. FAQs, some myth busting, kind of just a few, just a basic resource. And so with startvaping.com, we want to do more of a mainstream approach um, with some, with ads in, you know, billboards and stuff like that to just get the name of vaping off the ground. Uh, especially right now, I think that there's a lot of, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest challenges this industry has is the misinformation. And so getting into the mainstream age, I think it's very important that the true information is being spread out there. Uh, especially for vaping. It's been tarnished so many times in the past. Uh, I think that the biggest problem is just the misinformation. Got it. Can you give us an idea of how successful the business has become? Like how much has it grown to? Yeah. Um, so in 2014, when we opened the lab, no, sorry, 20. So 2014, summer 2014 is when we officially started. Um, we started getting the recipes, the R&D, the logo, all that stuff. 2015 is when we uh, got the lab that we're at right now. Um, and from there, we've grown to um, about 20 employees. We're in the seven digits revenue um, and we've got four websites. So we've got a UK website, US website, Canadian retail, Canadian wholesale. Um, and then in the next few months, we're launching VangoFlavors.com. That will be um, just selling the actual flavor concentrates, not the e-liquid. Not the e um, so this is for both manufacturers of nicotine liquid as well as CBD liquid. They're uh, very interested in the, the flavoring aspect of it because we've been doing flavoring for inhalation for so many years. Mm. Now, why do you need different uh, websites rather than just having it all concentrated on, on one website? 
Uh, for the regions? Yeah, for the regions. And then also you mentioned your new product line. Like what's the, the advantage of having multiple websites? Well, so for the regions, we had no choice. Um, I mean, we, we were playing around with the idea of switching over to Shopify Plus. I think that uh, that's in the next few months we're going to be looking at that. Right now, the reason we have multiple websites is um, the UK and the US both have different regulations for the products. So the products have to look a bit different. The products are different. The pricing is different. Um, so we, we found it easier just to have separate websites to take care of all this. Got it. And how's the websites? How are they designed? Do you have like an in-house team or do you hire out to an agency for that? Yeah, so we have a we have an artist that we have full-time working for us that just creates art. And then uh, we have a marketing firm that does the actual web, like the, the, the website creation. Um, there's also a firm that we use, an agency. Um, they're a Shopify expert. And so they do the actual, uh, anytime we need to do coding or anything unique, they'll they'll help us with that. Got it. Now, when you look at the design of your website or the ones that you want to launch, like what are some of the key things that you want to make sure you have on your site? The most important thing for us is um, it has to be visually appealing. When you come onto the website, uh, it has to be inviting. It has to be look. It has to look beautiful. And so we're really anal about artwork. Artwork is, you know, we're, we're constantly working on new artwork. We're constantly working on new content. We change our banners on the website, you know, at least once a week. Uh, we've got flavor of the week. And I feel like one of the biggest, the most, one of the most important things of, of a website, of course, it has to be fast, but it has to be very visually appealing. It has to be when you come in there, you feel like you're almost in a museum or an art gallery. You're like, wow, I just, yeah, you'll take the, those few seconds just to take it all in. You know, if you come to a page that looks garbage or it just looks ugly, it doesn't matter how fast it is. You just, you don't have any, you just don't feel like staying in that website for long. So I feel like the visuals have a lot to do with it. You know, just nice colors, nice graphics, nice pictures. Um, yeah, images and pictures. Got it. What about applications? Do you use any other Shopify apps or just tools to help run the business? Yeah, we do a lot. Um, actually, that's what kind of kept us. That's what brought us to Shopify and has kept us. Uh, we tried many different platforms before and the plugins and the, the apps were just not that good. Shopify has a huge, um, awesome ecosystem of developers who are creating amazing apps. And so uh, we use, for example, on the wholesale website, we have a pricing one. And uh, the pricing one is really awesome because we can just tag different customers with different tags. They all see their own pricing. Is that a supple pricing? Just want to make sure I get the app. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, supple. So we use supple quite a bit. Their their wholesale pricing is amazing. Um, it's the best one we've played with. They don't create million different variants. Um, we used a few of the bold apps for pricing and for sales. Uh, they have a few, they have a few that we use actually. Even the upsell one. Um, we have Liquid Lotto or Liquid Loot, I believe. It's a points program. That one does really well. We've got a couple sliders. Um, we've got an Instagram plugin. Shogun is another one actually that we use quite a bit for creating the actual pages. It um, it helps go around kind of like the, the overall restriction you have or the way that the product page looks like by default. With Shogun, you can create the page to look like whatever you want. 
Got it. Now, what are you focused on on these days? Like you mentioned, the Facebook group and and uh, the, the activity there. You guys, you know, jump in every once in a while. But your main focus now is on is in wholesale. How do you usually spend your days, though? Myself personally, yeah. Um, for me personally, my day is split between uh, you know running the company, so meetings, a lot of meetings, accounting, marketing, um, production, shipping. Kind of just watching over everything, um, making sure that the everything, like the operations are going well, and then uh, whatever time I have left for R and D, and you know, reaching out and talking to our customers, making sure that everything's going smooth, that they're still happy. I do a lot with R and D nowadays as well. We're always working on new flavors, and the flavor side of it is uh, is a is quite a process. So, for example, just one like the flavors that we're releasing in um, in at the end of October, we've been working on them since like last August. Wow, so it's it's not just like something that's easy to, to do. You got to spend a lot of time on R&D. Now, what do you want to see the business be this time next year? Mm, hopefully we'll be uh, in four more countries. We're uh, this year in November, we're doing our big official launch in the UK. Um, so that's going to be huge. There's a massive trade show that's happening. And uh, so we'll be doing a huge thing over there. And then as we go into 2019, we're going to be going to uh, France, Germany, Spain. Um, so we're starting to get into more of the European countries. So the goal by next year at this time would be uh, to be in four more, four to five more countries between, you know, Greece, I mean, Spain, France, Germany, those kind of uh, places. Beautiful. So vangovapes.com again, it's a website. Thank you so much for your time, Sadiq. Appreciate it. Thank you, Felix. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.